0: everyone and welcome once again to Safe Talk with Safe Start. I'm your host, Danny Smith. and Joining us today is a very familiar voice on the podcast, Rod Wagner. Rod is an executive advisor with Safe Start, a frequent contributor to Forbes magazine and also a New York Times bestselling author. He's also a self-proclaimed data geek or, well, maybe a bit of a nerd who loves to dig into research and analyze things like survey data, which really feeds a bit into what we're going to be talking about today as a part of our safe factor process. So, Rod, welcome
1: back to the podcast. Thanks, Danny. It's great to be here. Yeah, I, I, I am out there as a, as a nerd. And, and part of the reason is I think that in many cases, when we look at the patterns in the data, we can get ahead of where the next accident are likely to occur. And that means a lot to me to be able to to maybe be able to to look over the hill and and see what's coming in the interest of keeping people safe.
0: Yeah, that's really a lot about what safe factor is about. Uh, In full disclosure here, as they would say, uh, Rod and I have worked very closely over the past couple of years or so uh, with our other senior consultant, uh, Tim Page Bodorf, and our VP of Sales, Matt Hall, along with several others in the organization, and probably leaving some people out there, as they would say at the Academy Awards show, uh, to develop the Safe Factor process. And I think you'll gather from the tone of this conversation that Rod and I are very, very excited about Safe Factor. We found it just to be a really great tool to help people within organizations identify some of the gaps in their existing systems on just a day to day basis. Uh, Years ago, I worked with a gentleman who uh, famously said, don't one six the process. And I was confused at first by what he meant by that. And what he meant when he said don't one six the process is let's don't just jump from one to six. Uh, Let's flesh out the details of two, three, four, and five before we get to six. Make sure we're at the right six, I guess you could say, right? Uh, And We don't want to do that with this conversation either. So we'll go through the safe factor process a bit step by step here and just explain exactly what we do with this process and how it works. Uh, But first, uh, why don't we lay out a bit of groundwork first as to why safe factor could really be necessary within an organization?
1: I think that uh, I've had interesting conversations through the years with some of my collaborators about how much frontline managers and leaders need to be armchair psychologists. But I do think if someone is leading an industrial organization, either in a, a top-level role or right there on the front line, you do need to be somewhat of an expert on human nature, human factors, human possibilities, and limitations. Sure. That you understand exactly when you're going to be putting people and machines in close proximity to each other, what do you get from each? So the engineer would say, well, this needs to be lubricated at a certain number of weeks of operation, and it can only go uh, up to 2,500 RPMs. We also need to understand, well, how long can someone work and still be vigilant? When is someone most likely going to have a mental lapse, That could, particularly those mental lapses that could create some kind of an accident? And Safe Factor really serves what I'd suggest are three primary roles. One, we get at least a first-line view of the culture of an organization based on the perceptions of the leaders that we're working with. We then have a chance to educate them about those human factors and how they would affect operations on a daily basis. Not just from a safety standpoint, but quite frankly, from an overall performance level. And then while we don't get them all the way there to where they need to be in a short session like safe factor, we do begin to provide them the tools that they need to help identify the issues around human factors relative to their specific operations. Sure. Yeah,
0: and I like to say, let's begin with the end
1: in mind. So you mentioned uh, that we want to give folks
0: some tools to improve their operations. And, you know, you would think that because this is called a safe factor, emphasis on safe there, that it would be all about safety. But what we found is these human factors affect individuals and organizations in a variety of outcomes. It could be quality-related, productivity, customer relations, even interpersonal relationships, and, and yes, safety, right? Just to name a few, there's obviously a lot of other things. So this starts with safety, but it's really about helping folks to improve their organizations on the whole. So before we go too far into that, and we could probably talk for hours about that, let's walk through the safe factor process step-by-step just so our listeners will have an idea of what it looks like and what could be expected. The session itself is about four hours long and we can break that up into two two two-hour blocks or we can do it in a single four-hour session, obviously with breaks in there and things of that nature. Uh, We can do this virtually or we can do it in person. So that provides a good bit of flexibility for everybody as well. Now, Safe Factor begins a few weeks before the actual training session itself uh, with a leadership survey. And that survey provides us with some insight as to how the leaders perceive things within their organization, which is you know, a bit of where Rod comes in here as, as kind of the data geek, right? It's kind of analyzing some of that and giving us some, some insight into what the survey says, right?
1: Well, yeah, for the last few years, we've been using a new survey. Uh, the Safe Start Human Factors Survey, and it has two parallel versions, one we use with frontline folks and the other we use with the leadership team. They're almost entirely identical with a few accommodations for the various roles. So for example, if I'm interviewing someone at the frontline, I will ask them whether or not they feel or the degree to which they feel comfortable in shutting down operations if they see some kind of a hazard. Given that the leadership team generally is not around that red button, the appropriate question there is to say, how comfortable do you believe your employees are in hitting that red button? So these are identi- essentially identical surveys from the two different perspectives, 35 to 40 questions or so, some of which ask about their perception of the level of risk, so that we can prioritize those items. This goes out, a couple weeks ahead of the session and then i spent some time analyzing it to understand if you were able to tap into the this leadership team's brains collectively at one time which is the beauty of of survey research what does it tell you about their uh their perceptions to get them on the same page and to understand how they're viewing it as a as a leadership team there is um an extremely important caveat, which is that leader perceptions and frontline perceptions can differ appreciably. And we always, Danny, you and I always caution them. Don't have the hubris to think that you can see through their eyes Nonetheless, it is helpful to say for the leadership team, let's see how you are all as a group looking at these particular aspects.
0: Sure. And just a, a bit of insight as to the way this feeds into the, the, the overall session with Safe SafeFactor. Uh, we bring Rod in as we're presenting some of the, the front pieces of this, as we'll talk about in a moment. And he talks about some of the survey data and some of the things that he has, uh, has kind of I guess you could say extrapolated from that. And uh, it's almost kind of like we jokingly call him the weather guy because he comes in and he just kind of, you know, pops into several pieces of the presentation and talks about how that's relative to the concept that we're talking about in that particular moment. Uh, what are some of the things that you mentioned, the willingness to use stop work authority, the, the willingness to hit that big red button. Uh, what are some other things that you're able to determine from the data on, just on the whole?
1: I think to some degree, It is constructive simply to raise the issues in a very concrete way. I've seen a number of other surveys that are, to my view, kind of nebulous, a little bit mushy, where someone giving a positive answer doesn't guarantee that people are going to stay out of harm's way. And someone giving a negative answer isn't necessarily a guarantee that there's going to be an accident. I prefer very concrete types of questions. Are people getting enough sleep to make them safe? Are they, that red button is a dichotomous switch. You've either shut down operations or that machine is still running. So we need to know, are you going to push that button? Uh, We ask whether they have, whether they feel comfortable speaking up. That's going to be important. Let's say there's not a red button, but there's something that where they should be saying, this machine is wobbling or this particular process is throwing sparks that concern me a little bit. This is when, when we all know that, that hindsight is twenty twenty. 20, every, anytime there's an accident investigation, you can look back and say, well, boy, if, if someone had just stopped things or if someone had put on their PPE or if this particular individual, or if, or if, yes, if they just said no, this machine was throwing sparks, look at the, the Challenger accident mm-hmm. case in point. Oh, well, these O-rings don't work very well if it's cold. Did anyone mention that? Yes, someone did. Okay, well, they just could have shut that down and and saved that. Well, this happens on a much smaller basis in many industrial organizations, smaller piece of machinery, but in many cases, someone saw it. So I want to know if they would would speak up. And then we use this to uh, determine kind of at a first pass, using the leadership's expertise to say what kind of human factors are causing potential issues, potential um, incidents down the line? Uh, is fatigue an issue? And how could that affect performance? Now, that's not going to be, when we're talking to the leadership team, it's not going to be as definitive as if, as if I ask a frontline person, how fatigued do you get? And how much sleep do you get? But it is interesting to me particularly in the range of results. We've never had a situation where the leadership team answers monolithically. So there's sure. a range in there where some people are saying, well, on a five point scale, this culture is about a 4.5. Well, there's a colleague in the room who says, no, it's really more like 3.2. All right, let's discuss that a little bit. What are you sure. seeing? Just to get those issues on the table can uh, and with the speed we can do it in a safe factor session gets productive discussions and interventions going, I would prefer to have a full employee survey. And if there is a full employee survey, then we will definitely use that in the safe factor uh, session as the as the best evidence. But if there are issues that we can identify right there and get after them, that could be crucial to, to uh, maintaining performance, but maybe more important, making sure something really bad doesn't happen. Sure.
0: And from that analysis of the data, uh, what we do then is, I say we, Rod, uh, in, initiates what we call a vulnerability score, and that uh, really gives everybody kind of a snapshot of where they are as an organization. Now, I don't want to sound like the the legalese disclaimers that you hear on the radio or TV ad. you know, no representation is made, and they always say them so fast, I don't know how you can even understand them anyway. But anyway, the, the score, the vulnerability score is not something where you can say, well, Nothing's going to happen to us. After all, we're at a seventy-eight, uh, and the average company in our industry is at a sixty-two or whatever. Uh, That—that's not what the intention is with this. This is just something to get you thinking about where you are. So, if you don't mind, uh, expand a little bit on a bit of the that ex, that vulnerability to be assessment, if I can say it this morning, uh, being more than just a number, if
1: you will. Yeah, it is um, based on probabilistic measures. So the fact that you are safer doesn't mean that you are absolutely safe. If you're handling molten steel or you're lifting things over people's head that are heavy enough to crush them, then you're never entirely guaranteed uh, not to, to have an accident. And we kind of built that in to the vulnerability score. First of all, it's very rare to have low, low numbers. Uh, In that score, because frequently people will identify real issues at their organization. That's why they brought us in. Um, But we also designed it where, uh, or I designed it so it would never, it doesn't go to zero. Uh, bottoms out around 10. No one's ever gotten a 10. But we never say, oh, yeah, you're, you're never going to have any kind of an accident. It's really just an issue. People like those kinds of scores. It gets their attention. And then they there's a very constructive argument as to why they would be at a 54 versus being at a 63 and how they could um, lower their overall um, vulnerability. Um, it is also it is interesting and a little bit disconcerting when we look at this information, Danny, you and I have compared notes on this and our colleagues have compared notes on this, when we can see it coming, yeah. when you can say it's coming over the hill. We had one particular organization where we did a safe factor session, where we had also reviewed their previous incidents, So we knew the nature of the hazards. And unfortunately we told them straight up, I, I, here's what I said. Um, I'm not going to tell you that there couldn't be a fatality uh, and any industrial organization could suffer a fatality. You can slip backwards and hit your head the wrong way. You can have a fatality. So I'm never going to say no one's going to die there. I said, but it's not the thing that I necessarily see in the same way I might see if there were um, people working at height, where if you go out at four stories high, there's just no right. kind of in between you're, you're going to die. Uh, this was an organization that had a lot of um, a lot of reaching in, to work on particular pieces of equipment. And I could people were getting bad punctures or bad cuts and things like that, but it could have been a whole lot worse. And I told them I don't necessarily see a fatality could happen, but what's much more likely, and the thing I'm afraid is gonna happen is an amputation. It's just you have the both from a from a human factors standpoint where people are underslept, multiple long shifts. Even though they know what they're going to do, it, we're just creating the conditions where someone could easily have this happen. And um, unfortunately, that's exactly what occurred. It wasn't an amputation, but it was an accident where uh, the, the number of bone breaks, compound fractures that essentially um, robbed this individual of the loss of an arm. Wow. Uh, the arm is still there, but it's not functional in the same way. And, and for that individual, obviously, it was life-changing. Right. And, and you and I and our colleagues all feel this passion that if we can see this coming, we, we don't want to be able to tell you, I told you so. We want to be able to say, boy, it's been nice and quiet there. I wonder what we prevented. You never know what you prevented, but, but when it's nice and quiet and these incidents aren't happening, we feel like we have, we have um, fulfilled our mission. Sure.
0: Yeah, and it's not all negative either. I think that's a really important part to point out with this. I mean, yeah, we can identify some gaps in the in the overall systems based on the survey, maybe not specific things. That's uh, a part of what we use another tool within SafeFactor for, and we'll chat about that in a moment. But we also identify and identify some very positive things that are happening within the organizations from the survey and the feedback we get from that as well, right?
1: well we can and i actually think we have to be careful as safety advisors to not be the the shushing librarians of the corporate culture Uh, (laughs) because i know there's a lot of guys who are out there in oil fields and working in steel plants like oh you know the safety people they're just getting in the way of us getting things done which is not true uh from any kind of analytical standpoint but you know they're they're always telling us you know, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. I actually think if you look at it in the right way, what you're really doing is creating a way of navigating an industrial environment safely, but also more happily to have greater levels of job happiness to say, I really, first of all, nothing can screw up your, a good day at work than a than a bad accident. Sure. But even more important is to, be well rested, be well slept, under, feel comfortable navigating in a particular environment, getting your work done well, and going home saying that was a great day at work. I felt I, 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 was, I was solidly in the moment, knew what I was doing. Everything worked very well. We got done what we needed to do. No one had to stay late. I enjoyed my day today. And, and a baseline of that kind of behind the scenes is no one got themselves badly hurt during that day. Sure. Yeah, and it's
0: it is some of those positive things there, right? That that you can see and you can extrapolate out of that. You know, I mean, it it still is called work, right? I mean, but at the same time, there's nothing that says you can't enjoy what you're doing, even if it is, you know, something very you know physically demanding or mentally taxing or whatever. Uh, shifting gears here a bit, uh, the second part of the safe factor process itself, after we've completed the survey is the class itself. Uh, so let's break that down a little bit. Uh, we've talked a little bit about how we present the survey results as a part of the first part of this. During the first couple of hours, we spend some time introducing the concepts of human factors to supervisors and, and leaders, uh, talking specifically about how those human factors affect us individually, as leaders, as, as workers in an organization, but also how it, broadly affects the organization as a whole and we use the structure of our human factors framework model to discuss that and it helps really just to reframe the conversation to include things beyond what most supervisors even some senior managers think about typically when they're analyzing a situation so part of this relates back to well some of the technical systems Uh, we hit some of those earlier like maintenance equipment uh, equipment selection and maintenance for example. Uh, engineering controls processes the safety management systems of a company would fall into this as well some of those are those technical systems pieces but there are also some people system things within that uh, organizational side of things or the organization learning loop as we call it within our human factors framework model Uh, and we get a glimpse of some of those people systems issues there Uh, I say issues it can be positive or negative, but we get a glimpse of that through the survey as well that we present back to them, right
1: We do and and we're really trying to look fairly comprehensively from a human factor standpoint and we can't address things like how the a particular piece of machinery was installed and how well it's maintained and what have you and we do ask about maintenance we can't presume to be experts on the the process side of things but we can certainly get our arms around the cultural aspects Uh, we can understand how well the uh the the workforce trusts the leadership team Uh, One of the things I really like to ask the leadership team about, we ask the frontliners, but the leadership team is in a better position to talk about this, is how sound is your safety strategy? How much have you thought it through? It's not unusual, of course, when we sit down and ask them about that, and we kind of professionally poking holes in it, that they concede, you know, there are some things that we need to do to tighten this up. And I love to have that discussion because, quite frankly, what we're doing way, way upstream is preventing something that's gonna happen two years from now. And just by having that, that meeting, it's almost like uh, back to the future, you know, when the, when the photograph people melt and show up in the photograph, Like, okay, okay. an accident photo from two years from now, it's melting and we're okay. just seeing the machinery and we're just seeing things working the way they are, they are supposed to, uh, the way they're supposed to happen. We wanna understand how well the supervisors um, create a culture of safety, how well they're communicating Uh, We ask questions about whether they are present. How often do they go down and observe the work? Because every survey I've ever done relative to morale has shown that the supervisors who go work with people side by side, as opposed to sitting in their offices and sending out emails and texts and whatever, uh, know better what's going on. And they create a better bond with their people. Their people feel like this person is in the fight with me. Sure. This person is in the midst and in the, in the mix with me. And, and if I had something that I would want to bring up, of course, I would feel comfortable because he or she is down here um, every day. We also delve a little bit into shift structure. And this is, I think sometimes uh, it is more helpful, even though it's a little bit weird, to talk to leaders about people as though from, from an engineering standpoint mm-hmm. if you had a particular piece of equipment you would not run it at an rpm that substantially exceeds its design specifications and the engineer would say no no if you run it too fast too long too hot it's going to break down and i can assure you that it's going to break down okay let's talk about people how long do you think this person could be at this particular station right on low sleep before he or she is going to have a mental lapse, I think sometimes this is a key learning point relative to human factors. I think sometimes we just assume that uh, that people are infinitely plastic, infinitely stretchable. Uh, it's part of like, you know two cups of coffee and just toughing it out. Yeah, you but, can do this. Right? No, actually, humans have certain design specifications, if you will. And if we exceed those, we are asking for an accident. We're pretty much setting up the conditions for that accident to occur. And that's something that, Danny, when you and I are having these conversations with leadership teams that they start to go, you know what? I suppose you're right. We have been, when I asked them, you got 12-hour shifts. Have you ever analyzed to see what proportion of your accidents happen in the 11th and 12th hour? And it's surprising when they go back in and look and say, Wow, look at that! Yeah, sure enough, that's a dangerous hour. Sometimes it's a money losing hour or two in the shift. Maybe we should change that. Right?
0: You know, and going back to my before I got into safety, back to my operations management roots. Uh, you know, you saw that not only at times with um, with safety incidents, but also with quality issues, with productivity taking a bit of a nosedive towards the end of a shift as well. Uh, you know, certainly those are things that. that that you see, and those it relates back to human factors, right? How tired somebody is, that type of thing, uh, how mentally sharp they are at the moment. Uh, all of those are, are human factors. Now, it, big thing here, uh, once we've kind of unpacked the organizational side of things, we do look a bit at some of the things that are going on with individuals. We've kind of touched on that already with, you know, people maybe being preoccupied with something. Uh, maybe it is the lack of sleep. Maybe it's other things that could be affecting them. Uh, there's a lot of different things that affect how we feel, how we think, which in turn then affects, uh, you know, our, our actions and our behaviors. Uh, and so we want to talk and think about that a little bit as a part of this process as well.
1: I think it's important. It's in, important for the leadership teams that we advise. It's important for anyone who's an industrial leader to appreciate the fact that, um, the vast majority of workers want to do a good job. The last thing they want to do is have an accident. Right. And I do think that there's a, a, a convenient bias in safety investigations to look at proximate causes instead of ultimate causes. It's very easy once you have an accident to say, well, you shouldn't have thrown that that particular switch or you should have seen this coming. OK, fair enough. But then the question is, well, did this person feel comfortable speaking up, or did the last person who spoke up get reprimanded? Sure. And so they learned to just well, I'm gonna stay quiet. Yeah. Um, it, it's definitely not about blaming the worker, because in many cases, this the, the 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 internal learning loop should have taught us that we were creating conditions where sooner or later, an individual is going to make a mistake because we are not error proof right and we need to understand how those individual fa- uh, fa- those individual factors uh, affect not only the organization but play into the uh, affect the person but they how much they affect the overall organization everything is connected sure. a decision you make about shifts is going to have implications for performance a decision you make about changing Uh, the particular raw materials that go in is going to change how people see the process going and could have downstream effects. And if you want to understand how to avoid the incident and to keep overall performance at a higher level, you have to look at it uh, systemically, holistically.
0: Uh, You know, and not to get on a soapbox here, but what I think what we see so many times is people try to solve what I would call organizational issues with individual solutions. And that is, I think is where some of the blame the worker mentality has come from through the years in industry. You say you have an employee that hits a building column with a forklift, they damage some product, maybe damage the fork truck a bit, maybe even had a, a minor injury because they were excessively tired. They were driving faster than they probably should have to load a truck to get it out the door for, so the shipment would be on time for a client. So, the natural assumption is, well, that's an individual issue, right? But I think we really got to step back and and ask, well, are there some organizational things that kind of push that individual to be doing some of the things they were doing?
1: We have a a colleague who sometimes uses a term called a heroic culture. And at first glance, you're like, well, that's what we want. We want heroes. Yes. We want a heroic culture. He actually uses it as a negative, that a heroic culture is one that has enough design issues or organizational issues that it requires heroic measures on the part of the employees to make things run as they should have been designed to do. In other words, well, this machine isn't producing at the level it should be. But let's just tough it out. We can work, we'll work a little bit longer and we can get the day's production quota accomplished. Or, well, we're a little bit behind, but we'll heroically go a little bit faster. We'll move, let's just step it up, guys. We can get this done you actually are then asking individuals to make up for systemic or organizational issues. And that's simply inviting either a quality issue, a shutdown, a breakage, or some kind of an accident, which is emblematic of, of the whole reason why these things are wired together. And when we're talking about safety, we're not just taking talking about um, safety. So yeah, sometimes when I'm interviewing, particularly the frontline people, and I'm asking them questions such as, do you feel pressure to continue working when you are overly tired or do you feel like your job, your work-life balance allows you to get enough sleep? We start to get to the answers to those questions. Why was this particular person extremely tired or why was he or she um, in, in a hurry? And sometimes we're finding out that, well, this particular incident or this, these particular dangerous circumstances are happening because they were in their fifth 12 hours, fifth consecutive 12 hour shift. They were shorthanded because of high turnover or COVID, or it's just very difficult to hire people these days. And to your point, Danny, that's not something you're going to fix by putting the pressure on the employees and say, "Well, don't be fatigued." Don't be, don't rush. Uh, These are really organizational issues that need to be addressed at that level, as opposed to putting the pressure on the individual to say, you need to make up, you need to be a hero. You need to make up for the design and systemic issues that we are currently building into our operations. Right.
0: You know, on the other hand, you can't really solve an individual issue with an organizational solution either. Right. You, that's, that's the other policy I think that we have out there.
1: Oh, yeah, the reverse is also true. Um, I'm a big proponent of a good night of sleep. And the more I research it, either in the secondary research or as I triangulate the data that we get from our clients, frontline people, the more it stands out as it really becomes my first question. Anytime a friend of mine says, oh, I almost got in an accident. My first question would be, how did you sleep last night? (laughs) <laughs> because it is so predictive of everything. And we tend to, as individuals, not appreciate how crucial sleep is. Uh, we tend to think, well, I can I can get four and a half, five hours of sleep, and with a cup of coffee or two, I'll be in good shape. When I know that if I wired you up or gave you any kind of a cognitive test, I would find your cognitive abilities are substantially uh, diminished. So when we're talking to an organization, about if you have 12-hour shifts and your average employee's commute is 45 minutes, you understand that there's no wiggle room there. They have 10 and a half hours at home. Can they get eight hours of sleep? Sure, if they don't help their kids with their homework, they don't watch any TV, if they take a very short shower and grab a granola bar instead of making themselves some breakfast, they probably can but let's be serious. With any kind of a personal life at all, they're probably gonna get a short, a short night of sleep. But at the same time, Let's say that the organization has said we're going to give people enough time off. We also have to have, usually through the through the company's well-being program, a conversation to disabuse them of the idea that um six hours, five and a half, five hours of sleep is enough sleep for them to navigate the highway to the work site, through the work site, and the highway back home, never mind cleaning the the gutters of leaves when they get on the ladder when they when they get right. back home and they're they're setting themselves up. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the classic example here is, uh, you know,
0: okay, we, we swapped organizationally from the 12-hour shifts to a shorter shift or maybe shorter or longer rotation so people are not having to mess their circadian rhythm up so much or things of that nature. But yet I decided to stay up late to watch the football game. So that that's an individual choice, right? That's not something you fix in the organizational
1: side. So, And isn't I'm- it a strange thing that we are, uh, so many of us are wearing some kind of a, fitbit or garmin watch or something like that that's going to tell us how much we slept and how whether we raised our heart rate and how many steps we took right and we don't do anything about it your watch says you got a pretty lousy night of sleep well i'm still going to do that eight hour drive across wyoming well maybe delay it a day or get another driver or take a little nap but you're kind of asking for it right
0: exactly yeah. So, you know, with SafeFactor, again, structurally, the first part of this session is very educational, as we've talked about. Uh, the second part of this, the last couple of hours, is uh, I find this just to be a fascinating piece of this. It's, it's very much a workshop uh, type environment. We have some very highly interactive case studies that we analyze. Uh, We provide some very specific scenarios that the groups go through and analyze in smaller teams. uh, And then they report out as groups, they report out on their scenarios. So we've got three or four different scenarios, uh, depending on the number of people in the room. Uh, There's some issues in these that we've built in that are organizational. There are also some things that are individual in nature. Uh, and by the way, we can even do custom scenarios that, that better fit your business if that's something that we need to do with you. We'll have that conversation up front. Uh, but we use our, our what we call our safe factor data sheet. It, it's a tool that we use just to analyze these case studies. So part of the second part of the, the workshop is, uh, is to really familiarize the leaders with this tool, get them used to using it and uh, giving them that tool that they can use to analyze things in the moment as they move forward uh, in their day-to-day operations.
1: I tend to be someone who prefers to speak in very concrete terms because the consequences we're talking about are about as real as, as you can get in any kind of a business outcome. The way I prefer to frame it with the people all of our clients, including the Safe Factor clients, is to say, let's assume that six months from now, a few of us are going to come visit your site. And we're going to just go into the break room and have a chat with people, frontline people. And we're going to ask them, hey, have you seen any differences in the last six months or so? The answer I want to hear is, first of all, yes, they've seen some differences, but also that they can point to those differences to say we're doing more safety huddles. We have um, the company seems to be getting more serious about PPE, not just us wearing it, but making sure that it fits really well, that the goggles don't uh, fog up, things like that. They seem to be bringing us more options so that we can wear PPE that really works well for us. We're having more stops during the middle of the day where we say, just okay, stop everything or or huddle. Let's take a little pause. How are we doing? How's everybody doing? Managers seem to be more intent about asking us, how are you doing today? They ask us how, how well we slept last night. Do you feel good? Do you feel, should we take on that particular bigger task that we were going to do today? Or should we, or will we be better tomorrow? Maybe because there was a good big football game on last night. And let's Let's be serious. Everybody stayed up to watch it, so maybe today <laughs> not the day to take on that. I mean, these these are the real issues right. that can cause real accidents. So, never mind the fact that you're having a, you're creating what's called employee voice, that they're having a sense of like, when do we take this particular thing on, which makes them more committed, makes them more aware of what's going on. Um. So from there, yes, we want to. Uh, this this is not an academic exercise. The next part is how do we actually apply the learning that we have had the conversation that we've had in the, in the Safe Factor session. So let's take the sheet where we've made some uh, resolutions mm-hmm. and some plans and use it for real life situations. Um, and then we coordinate with our central contact person at the, at the client facility. And then we have follow up with um, ourselves or some of our colleagues to review with them how which improvements were made in the organization and the individual learning loop to make sure that we have those reliable desired outcomes. Right.
0: Yeah. And it, it just helps you to, to identify some specific trends uh, as within the organization. Again, and it's in both, both sides, you know, of the learning loops, if you will, uh, some of them organizationally uh, with the technical systems, maybe the, the people systems, but then there are those individual pieces as well, you know, that relate back to some of the human factors, if you will. So, I've really found Safe Factor to be a process that, that really gets leaders looking at issues that they encounter just in a different, broader way that's well, it's far more effective in solving things that they face on a day-to-day basis. And, and I think that's a lot of the value that our clients are seeing from this process already.
1: Uh, there's a there's a burden that a an industrial leader has that they will never know the hand they kept attached. They will never know whose eyesight they saved. And yet, as the nerd, I can tell you, when you do these (laughs) things, there are people who otherwise would have lost their eyesight or suffered a concussion or been killed on the job. And they quite literally are still here for decades longer than they would have been if this had not occurred. look Look at any modern vehicle today and you have this wonderful drive across country and everything's great and and even if you should suffer a crash or something like airbag deployment and guardrails um Stephen Pinker in his book um, Enlightenment Now talks about the fact that we just don't appreciate how well traffic how well traffic safety has saved lives that used oh, to yeah. be lost well I think there's a parallel in a rel- well run industrial organization that things just work really smoothly. That's not. That is not to to to, to uh, use a term. That is not an accident. Right. That is something that happened very deliberately. It was designed in. We're having good days. We're not having quality issues. People are enjoying themselves. We're not having to scramble around. We are not requiring a heroic culture mm-hmm. of our people. And why? Because we were quite deliberate, strategic about it years in advance that created the kinds of situations that we could be profitable, safe and have a very enjoyable working environment. And I know you share the same passion. That's why I'm in this line of business, because I think that's uh, my particular version of nerdiness allows me to give line of sight to this. And allows me the unique opportunity to be in a position where I can help leaders discharge their, their stewardship right. uh, to their workers, keep them safe. And at the same time, quite frankly, you make more money in the process a- at the same time. So why not,
0: right? Right, right. Makes the company more profitable because, again, it is called safe factor. But, again, we we see benefits in all sorts of areas operationally as well. So, it does make the company run better, more profitable. Uh, and, you know, let's bring it down to an individual supervisor level. Probably gives them less headaches they have to deal with on a day-to-day basis and less problems that they're having to solve, which gives them the opportunity then to be more innovative and think of ways to improve the process beyond just troubleshooting and fixing the problems or dealing with whatever
1: else, Right. So. well, you know we were having a, a conversation b- before the recording today that I think is is important here uh, something that you and I see all the time that an organization will say we're in good shape you know we' we're, we're we haven't had a serious incident for quite a while, and yet all the precursors are there right and you and I and our colleagues are nervous like well we can see it coming much like the potential am- amputation that I could see in in the data and so we're in that situation where we're saying oh, we're nervous. We see mm-hmm. some, we, you, there's some things that you ought to do to, to make sure this doesn't happen. Right. And we've all been in the situation, all of us at Safe Start, where a particular organization says, man, we don't think we need this. We're in pretty good shape. And then six months, a year down the line, something catastrophic happens. And we just cringe. Right. Partly because we, we kind of saw it coming, uh, partly because we know it was preventable. And then suddenly the company will be right back, and we get a phone call two weeks later, and they say, you know, OSHA has put us on this particular list, and we've been now safety is, is job one and we have to fix this safety issue. And like, okay, yeah, let's do it because there's a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth person who's in danger down the line. But I have to say it it drives me a little buggy because someone got themselves very seriously hurt or Killed in the process. We also know that we're dealing with a number of leaders that have that on their minds. Like we can't, we can't roll back the tape at right. that point. And wouldn't it have been better to have solved this well shy of anyone getting themselves seriously hurt? Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, and I think Safe Factor does a really nice job just giving the leaders, again, first of all, the education. Uh, well. Back up even a step beyond that, I guess, the, the insight into what their group thinks as, as a whole uh, with the survey, but then giving them a bit of education about human factors in a way maybe they haven't thought of it before. But then I think with the, the data sheet that we leave with them and ask them to go out and start collecting some examples about things within their organization where they're using this and analyzing those situations, you know, looking for the human factors, looking for the gaps, if you will, in what's happening there. Uh, really, I think that gives them the opportunity to to look at things in a different light. And, and that's really what Factor is about, right? So, uh, Rod, thanks again for joining us today. Really appreciate this. Always would like to, to do podcasts with you and just have conversations with you in general. Uh, really great to connect with you again. And thanks for everybody else for joining us today. Uh, I hope this just gives you a bit more insight into the SAFE Factor process. And if you'd like more information about that, uh, your client success manager or client growth manager can give you some more information about it and uh, certainly discuss that with you a bit further. Uh, For Safe Talk with Safe Start, I'm Danny Smith. Thanks so much for joining us once again and have a great day.